0: Today on How I Scale My Team, we have got the truly amazing Adina Ekstein, COO at Lemonade. She has been working at small companies and seeing them grow to working at huge companies and reestablishing things from scratch. Now she's at her sweet spot, taking an organization that is in the hundreds and growing it to the thousands. Welcome, Adina. We are so happy to have you here. Hi, Rami. Nice to be here. Hi, and Shahar is here as well. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is also a great opportunity uh, to congratulate you guys on the acquisition and launching the car insurance product. So amazing work, you guys. And actually, you know, to kick off um, this conversation is for you to tell us a little bit about Lemonade, yourself, how you got into this current role and take us through your path. I was born in
1: Australia and I, I moved to Israel when I was 12. That's why I speak like this. Um, We love it. (laughs) So uh, career-wise, just as I was finishing my BA, I kind of got stuck into the startup world by friends, and uh, I ended up staying in in one startup called Tivinci for six years. Um, It's a pretty long journey from kind of being one of the first five employees to over 100 and being acquired by Cultura. Um, In that company, I got to do everything from project management to product management to testing and business development and pre-sales and general management. It was uh, an amazing journey and it gave me the ability to really understand every single different function in an organization and to be able to to see with myself what are the things that are more interesting or less interesting for me me to do. Uh, It was... It was truly an amazing experience because uh, I think we were pretty awesome at identifying a trend before it became a thing. Uh, So we we did over-the-top TV, internet TV, um, and we kind of made a bet on paid TV. So we were saying things like, people are going to take money, they're going to spend money on watching TV on the internet, Uh, as opposed to user-generated content or ads at the time. This was pre-Netflix, pre-everything, and... And people thought we were nuts. <laughs> so um, that was quite a journey. Um, with Tivinti, I actually moved to London, uh, also because my uh, my hubs went to do his MBA in uh, London Business School, and there I did. Uh, I ran the sales organization for two years. What uh, year so was
2: that, Adina? How far uh, before we got into the Netflix world was that?
1: We started at two, Jesus, two thousand and. <laughs> <laughs> seems like forever ago it's a 2000 and long ago <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 2000 and something, something. Two thousand and something we should do like a fact check later but i'm just <laughs> trying to i'm trying to calculate but yeah like now I can say, DaVinci builds white label Netflixes for organizations. I wish I could use that in the elevator pitch <laughs> instead of all of the acronyms that I have to use at the time to convince people that this would be a good idea.
2: I, I remember when um, I think it was 2004 or five. I met with a bunch of friends. Uh, one of them was actually interviewing for Cultura. It was 2006 or seven when Cultura started, okay. and yeah. uh, it was right, right around the time when uh, Google acquired YouTube. I don't remember the exact year, it 2005 or six, right? and they were telling me about YouTube. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> and so it's like, people upload their videos. And I was like, why would anybody pay, I think it was about <laughs> 1.4 billion. It's like, why would anybody watch someone else's video? Um,
1: it's, very, it's very funny when you actually live through the trend. I remember the day that our designer said, I'm going to this conference. It's called user experience conference. <laughs> and I am like, okay. So he went to the user experience conference and he came back and he said, I'd like a promotion. I'd like to be a UX director, and now I need to hire a designer. <laughs> Perfect. After DaVinci was acquired by Kantura, I actually decided not to not to continue uh, and work for Kantura post-acquisition, and I wanted to. I really, really, really like the delivery side and the operational side. Um, so I uh, was very lucky, and I landed a job at BBC Worldwide. Um, they had a challenge which was really really interesting they wanted to take every single piece of content that was ever created by BBC um, get it digitized and sell it direct to consumer uh, over the top which was uh, my subject matter expertise however I hadn't worked in a corporate before I didn't understand you know how to get a business case approved what a steering committee was um, all the different rules and regulations and compliance and sort of getting the same technology to work and building the same type of team, but in a corporate environment. Um, what was really interesting there was also that we needed to basically bring together the technology groups of BBC worldwide, which is a different organization from BBC public service, which is like uh, channel one in Israel. So there's the, the national broadcast channel, and then there's BBC worldwide, which is the commercial arm completely disconnected from one another, uh, which is unexpected and so there was organizational challenges, there were cultural challenges, there were communications challenges, and I think that was, for me, a really pivotal point in my career, because I I understood that those are the types of challenges that really, really interest me, and those are the types of challenges where my competencies are a great match for the task at hand. I understand how people are wired, I understand what motivates people, and that's what I wanted to focus on, so... The organization that we built was called Consumer Digital Technology. Uh, it was like a product organization, but it was unheard of within BBC. Um, product managers, agile squads, uh, stand-ups, physical stand-ups, boards, uh, markers on boards, and bringing together from content operations, digital digitization, and uh, content curators and marketing and everybody sort of proper cross-functional teams to launch the product. Uh, which was a complete flop, um, hmm. was very, very, very unsuccessful. <laughs> the, business, uh, the business didn't do much, but the division that we built uh, sustained um, and went on to support and build and develop, uh, since then, all of uh, BBC Worldwide's um, consumer-facing commercial digital experiences, uh, far up since I've gone. Uh, and that was, that was a really, really amazing experience. Uh, after BBC, I, I landed what I thought was going to be the gig of my life, but I keep getting surprised. <laughs> um, at uh, HSBC, uh, the task was take our mobile app in 39 retail countries for everyday banking. It would be the app that you use to you know, check how much money you have or transfer, or etc. cetera. Um, it sucks. Uh, it's 1.5 stars in the app store. The team that we have is is almost like an offshore team uh, developers in China business leads in each of the countries restore it take as much money as you want do whatever you want with the team uh, fix it uh, and bit by bit we kind of completely broke down uh, every single preconception of the entire organization and our team was super successful we managed to launch a new app that was four point eight in the app store uh, my team then, sequentially, got responsibility for all of the front end technology at HSBC, uh, including the web interface, the the iPad that you use in branches, and a group to organization of about 1500 people. Uh, it was really hugely successful and really, really uh, rewarding. And then we decided to move to Israel.
2: Obviously, a very diverse career from uh, Startup Plan to BBC and HSBC, which is as far as you can get from uh, Startup Plan, as you, as you just described. And then joining, you know, the Pink Hut company called uh, Lemonade, uh, where you're currently is a COO. So uh, two quick questions. First of all, um, what does it really mean to be a COO at a company? Most people don't really understand. So they understand, you know, they're selling, marketing or building a product. Um, everything else is kind of weird for a majority of audience. My dad keeps asking me what I do in companies. I I can never explain. I'm not building, I'm not selling. I do a bunch of different things. Um, So what does it really mean to be a COO?
1: Definitely the the company growing
2: as fast as, as
1: lemonade. I think that the COO has a very specific mission, a very specific purpose. And that is to manage the scale of the organization in accordance with the business aspirations in a way that maintains... It's high quality and high culture. Um, That is the goal. And then you need to, and then that indeed changes depending on the company that you're in. So what does it take to manage scale? You know, there's lots of, there's lots of kind of infrastructure that you have within the organization that will enable you to answer that question. and And it does differ, but that's your goal. First of all, you figure out kind of what's working, what's not working um, once you get to a stable, stabilized phase of, okay, I understand the lay of the land, then it's really close work with the CEO to say, okay, what is it? What is your five year? What is your 10 X? What is your, where is this whole thing going? And then you need to architect your way through that. You need to design the organization. You need to figure out what are the different components of the organization? What, what, what are going to be the unique parts of the organization? What's going to be the selling points to, to strong employees? How are people going to be motivated? How are they going to talk to each other? How are they going to communicate internally? How are they going to communicate externally? How are they going to be connected to business objectives? Those are things that you need to think about. And that I think is true for every COO in every organization, no matter what the industry is. This is really
0: bringing me to my next question, Nadina, talking about you know, hiring processes. And you know hiring processes in Lemonade, um, we talked about it a little bit um, in our kind of initial conversation and you shared with me that, you know, connectivity between the people um, is critical in a team. One of kind of these X factors that you see in teams. And I wanted to ask you, how to how do you address it actually during the hiring
1: uh, process? The way you hire needs to be highly compatible with the way you're organized. And that will really dictate what are the types of characteristics you're looking in at people. And then also who internally in the organization is responsible for establishing whether those individuals... Have those characteristics,
2: and you guys uh, have you created example? a very—you guys have created a very unique structure. Uh, you don't have the kind of the normal hierarchical structure that most companies followed. You
1: one of the first things that I noticed coming into Lemonade, uh, especially given what I just described before about establishing the lay of the land and and what is it that you've got to work with, is that Lemonade was designed as you would expect. There are you know um, the product organization. There's an engineering organization. There's Customer-facing, there's there's growth, performance, marketing teams, business operations, and everything's working fine. Except that, very shortly after Lemonade launched with renters' insurance policy, it also launched with homeowners, uh, and then every single year a new product came to be. So we launched pet insurance, life insurance, and now car insurance. A multi, a multi-insurance policy organization. For me, that was that meant that. the the setup of having specific departments is going to become not scalable, not sustainable, because what happens? If I was back at HSBC, what would happen in that case? Let's say I was responsible for the pet insurance business. I would go and say, okay, this year I want to achieve such and such. So I would go and build a business case, get budget, then start begging for resources. I'd like this QA, this analyst, this such and such. And then people would start fighting over, oh, I'll give you, A 50% allocation of this, 50% allocation of that. You get into this dependency mania. uh, And also the sense of people don't, people are like these Lego pieces uh, that you can just like, oh, this week, uh, iOS person, you're on this squad. Next week, you're on that squad. There's no sense of identity. um, So long as you're the construct that is the stagnant one, the one that doesn't move is the department construct. The other thing that was very apparent to me was the pace of the growth of the organization. When I joined exactly two years ago, congratulations to me, uh, we were 200 employees, now we're over 1,000. I just want you to grasp that growth. So it's 800 people. Could
2: you repeat that? So you guys grew 5x in two years, so from 200 to 1,000. But how many locations, by the way?
1: Uh, we're based in uh, Tel Aviv in the U.S. We have four locations and in Amsterdam.
2: Why Amsterdam, by the way? You guys sell insurance outside the U.S. as well?
1: Yes, so we have, we have a business in Europe, so Amsterdam is where we run that business. Uh, we're also starting to uh, establish engineering products and engineering functions in Amsterdam as well as a wage to by our talent pool. Uh, so back um. to the story, um, when you scale at that pace, um, how does the individual feel in all that? When you're a 200-people organisation, the individual feels very important. We need you. You understand what it is that the, the big chiefs are trying to achieve. You're, you're, you're critical, you're mission critical. If something launches, you've probably had something to do with it. You can publish and say, I did this. When it becomes multi-insurance line, and then you're a 1,000 employees, the individual can get lost. So that was really both of those trends were exactly where the core principles of designing the org structure that we currently have at Lemonade today, which is you take the smallest organism, which is a squad and multifunctional, autonomous, and has a clear objective. And if you look at that, those characteristics of a squad, multifunctional, autonomous, and has a clear objective, those characteristics are not unique to product and engineering. And that's the bit where we took it a notch further. So our growth organization is in multifunctional squads. Our claims organization is in multifunctional squads. So we take the entire company, uh, we organize it into squads. uh, On top of squads, there's tribes, a hierarchical grouping. And then we built companies uh, that are composed of squads of every single function that you'd need to run a business. And we made those companies autonomous have a clear objective, and multifunctional. So if I'm running the pet insurance business, I have all the resources that I need for the foreseeable future to run, and I can be agile, and I can say, okay, so now I want to double down on profitability versus growth, and you don't need to go and build a business case and beg for resources. You kind of steer the entire ship, uh, and you bring everybody around this uh, objective and mission that you're working towards. But the so, departments don't disappear. The departments stay as stabilizers, and as the element that manages your professional growth as an individual and the quality of your work.
2: So let me repeat that just for a second. Well, we got tribes, squads, and companies, right? Did squads, I get that correct?
1: tribes, companies.
2: Okay. And uh, what distinguishes is, is just a scale thing, or is it kind of tribes are anybody can be in any tribe? Can you give an example of what a tribe looks like? What a squad looks like? Um,
1: a squad is a squad is 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 uh, is a group of individuals that are working towards a specific goal. They can, can they be, be cross-functional? Team.
0: Okay, got they it. They
1: must be cross-functional. Got it. So so even if you take a if you take a, a product squad, that's the easiest, and that's also very common in the industry. So you have uh, designers, engineers, product managers, QA working as as an organism uh, in in an agile way of working. That's a very easy example of a squad. Multiple squads come together to form a tribe. A tribe is just a construct that groups squads together, so so it's easy to manage if it gets too big. And then a company is multiple squads and tribes. In In a company, you'd have the product squads, you'd have the growth squads, you'd have the customer experience, you'd have claims, you'll have insurance. It's, it's like a mini company. And every time anything gets too big and it feels too big, you split it. That's the whole point. That means... Constantly goes back to that individual feeling significant. If the squad's so, are multifunctional, you're probably the only one in your squad that knows how to do what you do. And that's what makes you really important.
2: And each of these companies are kind of running their own P&L. Is that the right way to think about it? I'm running my own business. I have resources, budget, and I'm measured on success.
0: Correct?
1: The, the reason you're not entirely running your P&L is because of the stabilizer that I just described. Ultimately, mm-hmm. Uh, You're also part of an organization called Lemonade. So what we've done is an overlay because I think one of the most critical questions to be asked about this model is, hold on a sec. If you've got multiple companies and each of them are running in their own direction, um, how do you actually make sure that you don't start doing things twice or start diverging? Maybe the customer experience becomes broken (laughs) because one company is doing one thing and another company is doing another. Ultimately, the customer doesn't care about your organizational structure. They care about having a streamlined, unified user experience. So the department horizontal is super critical. So if you're a designer, you're sitting in a company, but you also belong to the designers group. If you're a product manager, you belong to a company and, and you sit also in the product organization, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason you don't entirely own your p is because we have deliberately designed it so that there's constant a healthy balance between Lemonade as needing to be an organization, needing to be scalable, needing to not do things twice, needing to build things once that can be reused multiple times and needing to provide a unique and seamless customer experience whilst maintaining and encouraging autonomy for each company to run, run, run as fast as they can. I mean, going back to the role of the COO, I kind of see this in a bird's eye view, and I'm always noticing when it's out of balance. This sounds very promising and effective and
0: makes a lot of sense. And I have to ask the question, what's the downside? Is there anything problematic or not working in this very unique structure? So I
1: spoke to one of the main downsides, which is if you don't put your stabilizers in place, then one of the things that could happen is that each company could go off and do their own thing. So, and, and you kind of want that to happen. You want the company leads to be super ambitious to think about their organization as a P and I have my customers. I've got my loss ratio. I have my growth targets and I'm just going to run, 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 run. But, but actually from the lemonade standpoint, you actually need to make sure that there are certain things that are maintained cohesively on a, on a horizontal, um, vector. So that's, that's definitely a downside, which we've implemented stabilizers to mitigate. But but it does mean that sometimes company leads can't run as fast as they'd like to. Uh, the other downside is that it doesn't optimize for cost. That's a truth. Mm-hmm. So the other model that I described at the beginning where um, – where if you're in a big corporation and you're pitching for a project and you need to get resources, it's because you've got a budget. You manage to um, get a, you know, seal a business case for a specific, a specific budget and certain benefits. You have enough money for 50% of a QA, and you don't need 100% of a QA because we're emphasizing agility. We want to make sure that when the squad lead needs a QA, they have a QA. The QA is always in the squad. So theoretically, you could say that sometimes people aren't 100% utilised. That could also be a downside of the model. If you're you're emphasising agility, you may be compromising on costs. But when I see these downsides, I don't see them as downsides that I accept. I see them as challenges uh, that we need to mitigate with best practices. And we have so many different concepts. (laughs) I can go into this for hours. Um, We have chapters, we've got guilds. Uh, that help really mitigate where where you may need somebody not 100%. So how do you do that without making this person not feel part of the company? Um, and, and again, that's another rabbit hole that we could climb into if you're interested.
2: It, it, it definitely sounds exactly. like an interesting rabbit hole. And, and you know, it, it sounds fascinating how you guys created um, what is relatively unique structure, obviously, that meets uh, how, you, uh, how you're how you looking at, at running your own business. Um you know, it kind of makes uh, a lot of sense to how you are operating, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking if I'm in a company right now and listening to this podcast, I'm kind of thinking there's something worthwhile exploring here. It sounds like it gives a lot more autonomy, a lot more agility to the organization. How would you, th- how what would you recommend managers or you know heads of line of businesses in companies trying to figure out? How to adapt their structure, giving, you know, talent constraints, uh, velocity of business and, and kind of experimenting with the model you're describing. How do you, how do you get started? Is it all, an all or nothing model?
1: It's definitely not an all or nothing. Um, I think that as managers, one of the most important things to notice in terms of motivating your team is, is what is it that makes the wheels turn? Uh, you don't necessarily need the structure for a 20 people organization, but I would actually plan for it and then and then and then you change doesn't matter um, I think uh, an easy thing to identify as an opportunity to to incorporate a, a unique organization design is something that's intending on being multi-product uh, so that's an easy thing to recognize and say to myself okay so how how do I run multi-product but there's other ways as well so I think and in fact I've, I've actually just had a few conversations with uh, some colleagues recently and and have thought about this in their unique design. So without going too much detail, it always comes down to uh, when does the individual feel connected to the mission of the business, which is eventually going to be the thing that motivates that individual to deliver? Does this individual have ways to develop? Is Is there plenty pathways or is it just one of these, like I'm going to wait for my boss to die kind of thing? Back wait for my boss work. to die? Is that a thing? People wait
2: for their boss to die?
1: <laughs> As in to leave. Romy um, well, staring the... starting at
2: you. Oh, are you waiting for me to
1: die? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no one has to die. We can just all grow. So, so my point is you don't, you don't incorporate organizational designs for the sake of it. It's not like one of those uh, fancy things. It's, it's, trying to, it's trying to understand this Is the setup of the organization now sufficient to keep people motivated? And I believe that what keeps people motivated is connectivity to business goals, autonomy, and path development. And then whenever you see any of those things getting a little bit broken, that's where you need to say, okay, the design isn't sufficient anymore. What is the next step of design uh, that we need to do in order to maintain those three key criteria? Because it's not going to be about the money. It's not going to be about anything artificial. People need to feel like they develop and they need to feel like they're making an impact. What do you think about it, Chachal?
0: You know, uh,
2: I've done a bunch of reorgs in my time and, and it's always super complicated. And I agree with Adina. I've seen a lot of times where people want titles and structures and um, it, it's very rare that organizations take a step back and kind of say, okay, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? What's the end goal? Um, and then from business strategy to execution strategy. To, at the end of it, there's an org structure that needs to meet it. Uh, too often, we start with the org structure because people want, who's the manager, that person left. And And it never leads to the right results. So I completely agree. I think that's the right way to think about it. And I think that's what led you to the to a structure that meets what Lemonade needs. I don't know that it's going to suffice to any other company. I think it's right for Lemonade. Um, and, and I think that's how it should be done. Most companies are scared. Most leaders are trying to look what the other company is doing and kind of have the same structure. It's kind of a, it's a career defense move, right? It's, uh, hey, you know, this is what they've done, must work for us as well. Let's do that. No one's going to fire me if I copycat a, a different leader. But if you have to think out of the box, uh, then, you know, you're putting yourself out there. And, um, you know, if it's successful, it's successful. If it's not get better, um, but you're taking a risk. And, and I guess that's what makes Lemonade such a successful company because you're taking risks.
0: Adina is smiling. <laughs> so <laughs> last I'm question, smiling. Adina. Um, uh, uh, uh,
2: yeah, we don't have video on the podcast. so we, um,
0: yeah. Really nice um, yeah, I have to kind of say what's going on. You know, the smile is around the room. Yeah. you do like the closed,
1: uh, the closed caption. <laughs> <laughs>
2: smiling.
0: Uh,
2: um, and I know we're running out of time. I, I do want to ask a uh, last question. Uh, which we ask all our interviews um, because it's it's an interesting one for us. Uh, If you had to choose one piece of advice, you know, you've done a few things in your life, more than a few. Uh, Interesting companies, super successful companies, large corporates. um, And if you had uh, to give one advice uh, from your experience to people who are building teams, what would that be?
1: I'd say... It's all about the people, dummy. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, maybe I'll speak to speak to something again, going back to lemonade. But it actually helps me answer the question. Um, We have a uh, we have a philosophy that the sort of concept of HR business partner is something that uh, that we don't have. We we have a, a people team. We do talent acquisition. We we. We build learning and development activities. We we have a strong operation that we try to power with a lot of tech and bots, and sort of less uh, less heavy on people. But we put a lot of responsibility on the managers to constantly be thinking about the people side of things. Um, I think that I think that if you're if you hire well, um, people that are just really good at their craft. Um, don't, don't be, don't be threatened by people being better than you at their craft. That's, that's great. Um, and you, you spend a lot of time onboarding people, a lot of time, uh, getting to the point that you're, you really understand each other in terms of how we like to communicate, how we like to make decisions, uh, how we think through things, how we problem solve, um, are we kind, are we bold, are we direct, sort of get to this point. Place where you're tuned with one another on, on how you like to run things and then set that person free, you know, chuck crazy goals that are fields ahead of them and sort of for them to figure their way how to get there. Um, and then the whole, the whole role you have as a manager is kind of creating the environments in which that person is likely to succeed getting there um so, so it's just about the people, understanding what makes them wire, understanding what they're good at, and then setting them really um, crazy but achievable targets, and trusting them to get there.
2: I love that. And you know, I've been saying it for years, and thanks for crystallizing that. The people who own, who own the people are the managers and not a jar. And a lot of companies uh, go sideways with that. Um, thanks. I think that's a great tip.
0: Thank you, Adina. Uh, it was super insightful and interesting, and I hope you enjoyed uh, as well our conversation. Um, to you, all of you listeners out there, you can follow us and find more episodes on our YouTube channel and website. Me and Shaha are already excited for our next episode on how I scale my team.